Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the 442 Podcast. I'm James Brown, Editor-in-Chief of the magazine. Today I'm joined by Tim Stillman, who is one of this month's contributors, and Arsenal fans will know him as one of the very popular uh, columnists of Ars Blog. And alongside him is one of our most prolific staff writers, uh, Chris Flanagan. Good morning, guys. Afternoon. Morning. Hello. Are you all right? Good, good. Thank Excellent. You. Now, when we... C- I've got to just say, well, we'll talk about what we're going to talk in a minute, but just to introduce you... When I said, look, we need to get a specialist Arsenal writer, I asked a few Arsenal uh, fans that I know, and they all said you. We've had Boyd Hilton on, who's an old friend of mine. So are you? where, where do you rank <laughs> in popularity of Arsenal tweeters and bloggers and columnists? Are you, are you above Le Grove? I've, maybe, uh, I don't know, maybe on about that. I'd have to look at our respective social media followings, if you know, if that's like a decent gauge, but probably on about that level. But I think the site I write for, Ask Blog, is, is probably at the top of that tree. It, no, it's that it's the big one, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Excellent. Chris, are you uh, Bolton's number one media player? I don't know. It's not for me to say, I suppose. <laughs> who, else is in, who else is in the field? Uh, so, well, they have uh, Lion of Vienna Suite is kind of the main podcast and things like that. So that's that's a very good one that I, I follow, yeah. It is amazing now that we've got this whole era when really the fans have created better media than a lot of the mainstream media and have taken it off. We were, we were talking about this when we did, we're working on our preview issue at the moment for the next season. And we're, I was saying, look, give the fans more space. You know, we normally have a little block with some quotes from fans. And, and one, of, one of the guys said, won't that make it less authoritative? And I said, what? One of our staff writers writing about you never go to see Doncaster or Nottingham Forest or a fan. For me, I, I, I mean, I, I, most for me, most of the better. I know this sounds ironic, given that, or perhaps wrong, given that I work in professional football media. But I would much prefer a read a really great blog from somebody who goes in week in, week out than somebody who's been paid to be there. Um, anyway, uh, that's my resignation. <laughs> <laughs> so look, we're going we're gonna to take a closer look at the in-depth piece uh, on the big Arsenal feature we've got in the current issue of 442 in a moment. And uh, But let's start with the latest football stories, particularly the Women's World Cup. Have you been watching that, Tim? Yeah, yeah every, pretty much every single game, yeah. And has it got better for you as you've gone on? Or what's what's the draw for you? Is it following England? I don't know if you've got a different thing. So um, part of it's work, um, to be honest. So I'm kind of covering it uh, okay. for a few different outlets. But um, I've, I've always been into women's football. I've been going to see Arsenal ladies, now women, since about the mid-1990s. Yep. Um, and I started off writing about them. And I just kind of got into it. And um, to be honest, it's, it's a tournament like any other tournament. It's Some games are good. Some are rubbish, some are really, really good. And it's just, I mean, it's just football at the end of the day. So I, I don't, having watched women's football for such a long time, I don't really look at it um, through yeah, I different I think eyes. the standard's got a lot better. Yeah, yeah, a- absolutely. That's your playing standard. Yeah, yeah. And 
actually, I think one of the big themes of this tournament has been the quality of the goalkeeping because this is the first tournament where most, like the first World Cup where most teams have a, a dedicated goalkeeper coach. Even at the last World Cup, that yeah. wasn't the case. And I think you're seeing that coming out a bit. And any standout players for you? Not that many, actually. A lot of um, the more attacking players have been kind of in and out. It's becoming a bit more like men's football now in that the coaches tend to be better at club level than yep. international level. Um, but I think uh, probably Rose Lavelle, who plays in midfield for the US, I think she'd probably be my player of the tournament at this stage. Uh, uh, Chris, does the fact that 11 million people watched that semi-final, uh, the England match, mean that women's football can expect to see that sort of growth domestically now? I, you know, I, th I think it, it can only help. I mean, it, we're seeing year on year now it's just growing and growing and growing and the you know the the finance and the backing of it is is improving and i think you, you're going to see that in all areas now it's just the in, as long as that interest is there you'll get backing from sponsors and and, and clubs and I, I think it's it's all going in the great direction and the fact that you know obviously two two semi-finals now for england in the last two world cups it, see, it can only keep improving you see i think it'll grow for the hardcore fans so the fans that go and watch the women's teams, the facilities will get better, the, the playing performances will get better, the money will go into the game, but I don't know if it will grow as significantly as, as, as that audience figure suggests because I think what we saw this week was England wins the Ashes, Henman wins Wimbledon, even though we only got to the semi-finals. And I think actually, just for me personally, when you start having been told about football by somebody who's never watched a game before, which was happening on Wednesday, who couldn't tell you who Phil Neville um, played for or who Lucy Bronze plays for or Jill Scott plays for, I actually think what we've done is, is I, I, don't, I think the growth will be at the heart of football. So I think it'll get better for the for the existing women's football. So I don't think there'll be a massive interest. But for me, the exciting thing is I think just for the kids who want to play football. Because mm. when I was, at, I mean, I'm really old. When I was at school, girls weren't allowed to play football. They weren't allowed in the, you know, and it was, and I was watching some of the, you know, they were showing crowd scenes and just thinking that there'll be girls there thinking, I can be like this. The, the challenge for it will be um, when the WSL starts again next season alongside the Premier League, alongside the yeah. Champions League, and it's competing in that space. I think you're right. There's not going to be an explosion of ticket sales. But um, one of the important legacies of the tournament could be just what you said. First of all, um, not just young girls watching and thinking, oh, I can do this, but actually young boys watching as well and not regarding it odd that women are playing football and that it's, like I said at the top, just football. It's just like another football match. Yeah. Um, but one of the kind of positive things for the WSL, they've got this Barclays sponsorship next year. You've got Tottenham and Manchester United got are coming into teams, it. Yeah. So I think you're right. It will it will grow from that respect that you'll have slightly bigger fan bases. And look, if people are getting um, kind of dis disillusioned with the game at the top level now, mm. I think I think the women's game is a really really good alternative to that for fans. So just talk. Let's put just one one moment. The disallowed goal this week in that game. Do you think that the the governing bodies of football will stay with the rules as they are? Because I, I to me that was there was a time when I don't know the ex I should know the exact rules, but they changed them all the time. About but when you're getting ruled offside, and the vast majority of your body is on in line with the defender. 
it just seems to be it's spoiling the game, you know? I, I, I agree. Um, I've always been a VAR sceptic for that exact reason. I don't think football has ever been the game that you boil down to quarters of inches. I just don't think that's the game it is. But that's the game it's going to become with VAR. I'm not sure if they'll change offside, <clears throat> for example, because there's the whole, well, if you're offside, you're offside, whether it's your toenail. I agree. I think that's against the spirit I of it. I think there should be clear space. I I think there should be clear space between... You should be able to draw a line through the grass yeah. because offside wasn't invented because somebody's knee mm. or yeah. half a foot was ahead of the defender. It was invented to stop people goal hanging. And the thing is now is that the way they're doing it, like you say, in, in tiny inches like that, the, the actual linesman cannot possibly give that decision because he can't, you know, there's no way a linesman can, do, can judge half an inch when everything's moving that quickly. So, you, like you say, you're changing the game. In a way, I mean, obviously, the same exact same thing happened with Jesse Lingard in the Nations League against Holland. Yeah, another semi final for England, and half an inch cost cost England. And obviously, it's it, it's easier for us to be upset about it because you know we, we in, you know in both tournaments we wanted England to do well, but I, st- I still think that it's yeah, I, I agree that it's, it's, it's madness it's, that it's over not half that an inch. VAR that, you know, is the problem. The problem is the rules just need to be clearer because what you're seeing there is at the moment it's a great goal. We're really well taken, lovely flick on. Um, it would have just electrified the, the game at that point, it's f- from the point of view of if, you, if you're supporting England or you're neutral, I think. But we watch football to see goals. You can mm. say what you want. You can go back to the days when Arsenal were winning 1-0 and proud of it, but you really, really want to see your team mm. score more goals than the other team. Mm. I think, you know, um, and, 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 and it's stopping goals. Well, the, thing, the thing I don't like about it is now every time there's a goal, they, they're going to look through, you know, the entire 10, 15 seconds before that. So is there anything that we can, we can find that someone's done wrong? They should be looking for reasons yeah. to give goals, hmm. not take them away. I, I think um, the thing is with VAR, I think you're right. The rules aren't written with VAR in mind and we'll have to revisit some of them. One of the ones I think should be really, really reconsidered is the penalty. Because now you're getting far more penalties. And some of these offences, you're thinking like penalties are 80% of the time goals. And some of these offences, you're thinking, is that really worth virtually guaranteeing a goal for the opposition? Like if someone's, you know, the ball hits someone's elbow, like is mm. that worth a goal? Well, I think but also, sorry, Chris, but also on that point, the ball hitting the arm, you know, whether it's women's players or men's players, footballers spend. 40 hours a week booting a ball around. You, say, you tell them to hit an an, a hand at 20 yards, they can do it. You know, they're just in this point now where they're going to just be lifting the ball mm. as the defender is in front of them onto the hand. Well, it's that, easy to do that. That's why we were, we're seeing more and more, and even in the last five years, the defenders, when they're defending a cross, will have their arms behind their back, which is crazy, really. But they're going to have to, after what we've seen with VAR, they're going to have to do that even more. But it's. Yeah, with that, it's partly VAR, but it's also that they're actually changing the handball rule to, and that's the two things are happening at once. And, it, and like mm. you say, we're getting a lot of these ridiculous handball penalties. Okay, speaking of ridiculous things, a man who spent a year managing a team to exactly the same place they had finished for the three years previous, Frank Lampard, very good footballer, very intelligent man, I've interviewed him, very nice guy, has now been put in charge of a Champions League Europa title holders team Chelsea because he was a very good player 
good, mad, promising. I think, I think it's a little bit mad, to be honest. I mean, ultimately, why have they given Frank Lampard the job? If Frank Lampard had spent his career playing for Crew Alexandra or Leeds or Fulham, he wouldn't have got the job. So the biggest qualifier for him getting the job is being a Chelsea legend. And I don't know, I think this has become very fashionable since Guardiola, since Zidane. And now you've got Solskjaer and uh, it's always been there, that kind of let's bring back the club legend. But I, I don't know. Like, I, I just think, is that enough? Like, I think bringing Jody Morris with him, I think that makes some sense, given the work he's done with Chelsea's young players yeah. and the situation they're in. But as much as it's, it gives everyone a nice glow to, to welcome Frank back, you know, 12 months down the line, they're going to have to look probably going to have to look at sacking him <laughs> which well, well i know that uh, paddy power had a really funny tweet yesterday when they they said oh that his first game is his first competitive game is, is against solskjaer and he said in what they're calling the the race to be the first sacking so they could have a holiday in barbados but they're both both those managers on paddy power sound but they don't sponsor us by the way just following the tweet it's funny it's six to one you know to lose their jobs. Chris, what, what are your thoughts on this? Um, yeah, it, it, it's definitely a risk and something that's that, that goes against what they normally do in terms of bringing in a, a, an experienced manager. Um, and I, th- I think, I'm right, I think that it's, this is the first permanent English manager they've had since Glenn Hoddle. Um, so yeah, it's obviously a, a very different uh, approach for them. I mean, I, I, st- I still think he, he did a good job at Derby, not an amazing job, but he, he kept... You say they finished in the same place. They all, he did that with a much reduced budget than what they had the year before. And they also got got to the playoff final rather than the playoff semi-final. But I appreciate that mm. he still wasn't... You couldn't say he was amazing at, at Derby. Um, so, yeah, it, it's, it's a risk. Well, There's no doubt about I that. I think, obviously, you know, I, I, I can't suspend my bitterness around <laughs> them knocking Leeds out of the semis. But just to trying to be objective is that if you look at Norwich... Aston Villa and, and Leeds, they all improved significantly when those managers came in. You know, Le- we'd finished 13th with virtually the same mm. squad. We finished third. Um, Aston Villa are in real trouble. Dean Smith has taken them up. Mm. Uh, and always, as, as all Brentford managers seem to do, you know, really do very, very well with, with very little in terms of uh, name players at Brentford. And I just think we went down this at Leeds in the 70s after... Revy and then Armfield and then Adamson. You know, we had, we had Clark, we had Bremner, we had Eddie Gray. And, and it almost, it kind of, I mean, there was, there was mixed success with those legends. It's, I don't think it's necessarily a good thing. When David O'Leary got the job at, at Leeds United, I was, um, I, was with the, I was with the squad where we were playing away at uh, Maritimo. In the which is a Portuguese Portugal. island, island, you know, and um, it was a Madeira. It was on the island of Madeira, mm. and um, the chairman then, Peter Vidsdale, came up to me. I was friends with a guy called Hayden Evans, who was one of the agents who looks after a lot of the players. That David's batting, Gary Speed and Simon Grayson, and so on. And he said, "Where's Where's Hayden?" I said, "I don't know why." He said, "I need to talk to Gordon Strachan instantly." So, okay, so we went away and, and, and Leeds at the time were trying to get Martin O'Neill. Martin O'Neill came very close to taking that job. When he didn't get it, they gave it to O'Leary because he'd done well in the meantime. But the managing director of the club <coughs> at the time, Jeremy Fenn, in discussion said, look, would we be even considering Gordon if he hadn't had his playing career at Leeds? You know, let's just look at this 
coldly and look at his managerial performance. Mm. It was quite early on in his career. I think he might have just managed Coventry, and that was mm. all at that point. Was he Coventry's manager? He was, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. Um, and it's it's that perspective. It's just, I mean, I don't know. I I don't think we've been doing our predictions for next season. I don't think I think Chelsea will struggle because we hammered Derby three times. You know, they beat us in the, in the most important game. They didn't look mm. anywhere near as good as Norwich, certainly last year, you know, or Sheffield United or Wolves the year before. And you say he had a good season. I think he stood mm. still. He had three good loans and he had a very, very senior team there. There were five or six Premier League players in that Derby team. Mm. And as as we <laughs> as we saw with Solskjaer, even if it, you know, engenders a bit of a feel good factor, that only lasts for so long. And, you know, that that's not going to go on for, what's his contract, two, three years? Mm. It's not going to go on for that entire time. You know, they might have like a small uptick at the beginning where everyone's smiling and happy. But we also know that, um, you know, the Chelsea ownership and the Chelsea board, they're not going to be painting smiles on their face and saying, well, at least it's a club legend if the results aren't going It's right. like fantasy management. Yeah. yeah. And I also, this is, this is the most difficult time to take over Chelsea since Abramovich came in. Yeah. Because of the embargo. And Hazard mm. going, so it's yeah, it's it's a tricky time to 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 and go Hudson, with. How long is Hudson Odoi out? Uh, I think he's back sometime, maybe two or three months into the season. Okay, so he would be the player if he wasn't injured that they would be looking to light up the team with mm. Hazard going. Yeah, well, obviously they've got Pulisic, who hopefully will 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 do some of that. Um, but he's new to the league. Yes. Oh yeah. That's you the can't key expect, factor. Pulisic c- might yeah. take a season to go from fourteen to twenty four goals. You can't expect anyone to be like Hazard straight away for sure. Okay, that's that's uh, Chelsea. Let's move on from there. We've kind of. What do you you think they're going to do? Okay, don't you? Uh, personally, I think they'll be sorry because I had said we'll move on. <laughs> <laughs> personally, I think I think they'll finish sixth. You think? I think they'll finish sixth. Sixth. What do you think? I think maybe fifth. I had seventh. I think. I think Leicester will finish above them. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Okay, let's talk about Arsenal. Let's move to your end of, of London. We've got this fantastic feature in the magazine this month, 23 Reasons to Still... It, well, it's still good to be a gooner. And they've got the back cover. Can I just ask you, first of all, I live quite near Emirates, and as a non-Arsenal supporter, it's uh, the Adidas campaign around the new shirt has been pretty amazing. The, 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 the video that they did with, with the legends and, and the fans... Um, the the ad the ads all over Highbury Station the, all, all of the ad sites have, uh, have got Arsenal on there you have got the mural um, I mean it's they've really gone to town with it. it is it possible that an advertising campaign can cover up some well now well voiced disappointments over last season I I think in in a way it can not in a in a 
properly tangible way, it's not going to make us a good team again, for example. But one of the things that I think Arsenal fans have been feeling, particularly since Arsene Wenger left, and we know that the end of Wenger's reign was quite divisive, but it was a very definite identity because whether whatever you thought of Arsene Wenger at the end, you knew what he stood for, what his yeah. style of football was and everything like that. And we've lost that really big reference point. And Unai Emery's come in and Unai Emery is someone who doesn't really have like a particular style of football or anything that you can hang your hat on. And also Arsenal have turned over quite a lot of the squad recently. So there's a lot of new players mm. there. So there's not many people or things we identify with at Arsenal at the moment. Not many figures that you can say, yeah, he's Arsenal. And actually what this what this video did really, really nicely was to recenter that sense of identity. I really liked the way they talked about, you know, Arsenal being a London thing, but London being very global and welcoming at the same time. So it really hit that kind of, yeah, Ian Wright's from Lewisham, he's one of our big legends, you know, yeah. here's a couple of shots in a greasy spoon. But actually, you know, the striker from um from Gabon. Yeah. And the midfielder from France can get in on this, and so can the fans in in kind of far flung corners of the world. Because actually, that is what London's like. Exactly. If exactly. you walk down a street in London, you will walk past somebody from France. You will walk past somebody from Africa. You will walk walk past somebody from Turkey or Sweden or wherever you you know. It's a t you really. I think Arsenal reflect the community around yeah. them in many ways, and and they absolutely nailed that in a way that I don't think anyone inside the club has managed to do in the last couple of years, particularly under the ownership of Stan Kroenke, which is quite faceless, quite distant. And actually, that video, really honestly, I know I know it's like a marketing video, and that's kind of what it's meant to do, and it's a bit superficial, but really honestly, it kind of it. it really centered that identity again and obviously like for fans of a certain age maybe about my age and slightly older you know people that identify Arsenal and Adidas with Anfield 89 yeah. and winning the league in 91 and they really got that retro feeling and the mention of David Rowcastle so actually it, it did make people feel quite good I think. Yeah, I think I think they've done an amazing job I mean the uh, some people were sending me today saying look at this look at this not Arsenal fans. And and I, you know, I, I was suckered in. I bought the warm-up jacket and I, I don't usually buy merchandise anymore um, because, you know, Idris Elba was wearing it in the video. Unfortunately, I don't look like Idris Elba when I'm wearing it um, and I haven't when been able to get you a wear refund on that jacket? <laughs> when would you wear that jacket? To, to, the, to the match? Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. Do, yeah. do you wear Bolton merchandise? Um, no, not, not not these days. I, I, I certainly used to do when I was young, but, but yeah, not, not so much now, yeah. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not even going to go. There. I'm like, nah, I'm quite superstitious around what I wear okay. and what, how I go into the game. So, uh, what do you wear then? <laughs> do I want to know the answer to this? Though <laughs> I have all sorts of mad. There's a tree on the M1 that I look for on the drive up, <laughs> and if I miss it, I think that's not good. Right. On the way to the, I know that's not. I know that's that's trees, not clothing. <laughs> I won't wear red. I wore red to a game last year for the first time. Uh, I can't remember why I was doing it. Maybe I'd, I'd forgotten. I don't know what it is. And I I think we won. But I was very conscious of the whole time that I don't, you know. I've got a beautiful... Remember, have you seen Savile Rogue? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Savile yeah. Rogue, the guy that wrote, who started that is an Arsenal fan. I've got a beautiful Savile Rogue cashmere scarf. But I won't wear that. I won't wear that too much because in in my head it looks too clean, but it's really nice. So I've still got my scarf from about 1975, which 
is just rubbish scarf basically it's just a badly knitted together old semi-nylon wool scarf and it's filthy mm. so i've got that this yellow and blue and white from when i was a kid yeah. but i don't yeah it's kind of i don't know i mean do you think like this level of stuff well i mean I, I think it's different for yeah. arsenal because yeah. you've actually got real chance yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not like not really i mean personally i i'm kind of I'm very into like the retro kit thing, right? Yeah. So I've I've got like quite a good collection of of retro shirts, and so that's a, a way I tend not to wear colours at all, just because it's easier to get served in pubs that way. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, at home I'll, I'll usually chuck a retro shirt on or something like that. I think uh, myself, I, I say, I used to be quite superstitious, but I think three re- three relegations have knocked that out of me, unfortunately. <laughs> 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 okay, like just let's come back to Arsenal for a little bit. Um, I was chatting to a 442 reader whose who's daughter's at my son's primary school and he was adamant he'd be happy for Emery to go now. And he was quite mild-mannered about it. He wasn't frothing at the mouth. I wasn't up to lock him down or anything like that. He was just... I said, are you sure you want a sort of a moist scenario? How long... First of all, would you, what do you think of that opinion? Um, what are your feelings on it? And secondly... How long is enough time to give a manager? So I'm actually in the same boat. I wouldn't have minded seeing him go this summer. Again, I'm not kind of absolutely adamant and it's not going to happen. And I understand all the reasons it's not going to happen. I don't think he's quite the right fit. I don't think he's a terrible coach. I don't hate him. You know, I don't want to chase him out of the club or anything like that. I've just never, I, I don't think the players we have and him as a coach I just don't think it quite meshes and I think actually the end of the season where we completely threw away top four and uh, the Europa League final I think at a lot of clubs manager might lose his job for that however he'll get this season his I think his contract is two years with an option for a second and basically I think if he doesn't get in the Champions League this coming season he'll go and I think that's fair enough do you think it would change if they shipped Ozil out and he had that you know I don't know what they get. They say, got, say his value came down. I don't know where he is when he's contract. They say they got 50, 60 million for him. Would that sort of money to, to buy a new creative force? Because I think Arsenal fans were, I always felt were too harsh on Ramsey. But as a, as a, as a non, you know, as, in, as somebody who doesn't support Arsenal, looking in, he looked like a player who could change a game willfully. Yeah. Whereas, yeah. Um, you know, Tony Adams has said, that was it Tony Adams or, or Henri? So, so, sorry if it's not Tony Adams, but significant ex players who've been coaches around mm. the camp whilst it wasn't, it was Henri. Henri, I think, said that he can't affect a game away from home. So, no. is that well, just too much of a luxury? There's something well, yeah, right I mean, I, there, clearly. Yeah, I, th- I think it's gone on for so long now that he's it, it, it seems that he's hindering the team to a, to a degree. Um, whether whether you'll get 60, 70 million for him now, I don't know who, who would pay you that for him now. I don't know. Mate. A couple of years ago, it may be, but I don't know. Um, it would certainly help if they could get someone else in there to to drive it, but I still think that that wouldn't make them a title contender still, unless it was someone seriously amazing. I still think they're quite a way short. Who would of, you like yeah. him to? Well, would you, do you want Ozil to become a home and away player? Um, I think it's in <coughs> everyone's interest if Ozil goes. Um, not least because his his salary is about three hundred and fifty thousand pounds a week, and it's stopping not, Arsenal not from renewing. Not dissimilar to Chris's. <laughs> <laughs> 
and it's it's a bit like Sanchez at Manchester United, actually. It's stopping Arsenal from renewing. So, I mean, I think we're in a situation where not only would we not get a transfer fee to get rid of him, I think we'd be taking on some of his wages. So I think it'd be a free transfer and we'd still be paying him some money. I think that's how damaged goods he is at the moment and really that bad yeah yeah I think his career's just stalled maybe a bit of the Germany thing in there but for Arsenal it's definitely the best thing that's interesting who would you like to see in this week there's been a bid put in for Zaha see obviously a different type of player to, to Ozil but an interesting approach I, I would think he'd make a great uh, improvement on the team. Yeah, so I, I really like Zaha and I think he's exactly the type of player Arsenal need. A wide forward who scores goals and takes players on. Um, I think that's exactly what Arsenal need. I'm sceptical about the kind of price it will cost and I think the reality of Arsenal's situation is they should probably look for slightly younger talent that's maybe a little bit cheaper with a bit of an upside. If he came in, would he stifle Awobi, who I thought looked one of the better players? I know he came on late into the game in the final in Baku? So I don't think so. I think Iwobi would be slightly better like as a midfielder in a midfield three. I don't think he's quite got the end product okay. to be a winger. Um, but but nevertheless, I mean, Zaha's just better than Iwobi. So it's mm. almost not immaterial, but... Um, and, and also Mkhitaryan plays on the other wing and he's a bit up and down. So I, I think Iwobi would still get his chances. Just whilst we're here, we, who is your all-time favourite player? Anders Limpar. Um, is my favourite player. Anders Limpar. Yeah, he was. We had a sw we had a sweepstakes to see who you would say. <laughs> I Did said Perez. I think I said Ian Wright. Yeah, and he said Bergkamp. I mean, they, they would all be probably in my top ten, <laughs> but for me, it's Limpar because he was my favourite player when I was ten, well, eight or nine. Okay. And I think your favourite player when you're eight or nine yeah. is your favourite player for life. Yeah. I've got a funny story about Limpar. I think lots of people have. But I don't know if I've told have I told this before, but. Uh, Tony Adams told me this, um, that the um, George just didn't get off Anders Limpar. He thought he was, George Graham thought he was just a luxury and um, he used to just tear a strip off him when he was really frustrated. Uh, it was always Anders Limpar that would get it and he'd always take him off everything. And he said that they came in at half time one day and they were getting absolute hammering and then the players were sitting in a horseshoe, you know, around the left to right George in the middle so he started on the left and he's just chewing everyone out you know going through the midfield going through the defence absolutely bollocking him they were furious they were, they were losing or something and he turned to to where Limpar was about to give him the mother load and he was you know he was going, as for you you can get your and he was stopped because Limpar had already got changed <laughs> he knew he was <laughs> He knew he was coming off. <laughs> but I, I think one of the reasons I liked Limpar was because he was like the rock star footballer in a fairly functional, like George Graham team. He, we all knew he was a bit, you know, he was a bit of a, a lad, uh, for want of a better word. Okay. More than Merson? You preferred him on the... I used to like the way Merson flowed. Merson's possibly my second favourite Arsenal player for, for many of the same reasons. And I, I kind of got to know him a little bit when... Uh, after he left Arsenal, and yeah, I, I loved Merce as well. Still do. Uh, look, just before we leave Arsenal there, just you talk about Merce, and it, I think if you want to, if you, even Spurs fans could watch this, if you want to see a game where you see what Merce was about, watch the Do I Not Like That game, as it came to be known, when Holland stopped England from qualifying and basically ended Graham Taylor's career. Merson is just brilliant in that game. In fact, England are brilliant in that game. 
I watched that when Capello was manager, when we were playing very safe, tidy, square, you know, kind of almost like the old just sideway passes. And my memory of Graham Taylor's period of, as England managers is, is mainly around that really disastrous European Championship in 92 when he took a lot of mediocre players. But England were brilliant that night and it was totally unlike football. And you go, it's worth what you can watch it. I watch it on YouTube in like six, you know, whatever chunks. And Merce um, was brilliant in that, as was Chrissy Waddle, I think. Okay, that's it. I just wanted to mention that if anyone has never seen that game. Okay, listen, uh, time now to find out what the most popular stories on the 442 website are this week. Here's Tanya Snugs with a rundown of our top five. Thanks, James. At five, a rundown of every incredible free transfer Juventus have landed in the last 10 years. At four, this is Anfield's Jack Lusby tells us what he wants from Liverpool this summer. We reveal every Premier League club's expected breakthrough star next season at three. Whilst at two, Andy Mitten examines the gap between rage and reality for Man United fans when it comes to the Glazers. And at number one, Connor Pope explains how new financial fair play rules could completely change the Premier League next season. OK, uh, Chris Flanagan, you spend every day of your life <laughs> watching and writing about football. I imagine a lot of people listening to it, and certainly a lot of people who read the magazine who are interested in how we do it, would love to have your job. You, how many people have you interviewed this month? This month, uh, so well, uh, Robbie Savage, uh, James Forrest, uh, Kevin Phillips. Those would be the main three. There may, there may well be others. Are but also <laughs> just, just tell us who else you've done just this week. Oh, this week. Uh, so well, I've I've, I've been in uh, Luxembourg to to cover uh, Cardiff Metropolitan University, which are the first ever British university team to play in the Europa yep. League, and then been to down to Harry Redknapp's house on on Monday to speak to him for our next issue as well. And. Ray Clemens, uh, Ray Clemens as well, yes, yeah, and and uh, Faye White as well. So excellent. Yeah. He's just he's just a machine. <laughs> he's a football interviewing machine. So <laughs> tell us a little bit about Robbie Savage. You interviewed Robbie Savage. Yeah. So yeah. So I, I met him uh, a little while back, and we, he came in like a rock star with uh, the big sunglasses and everything. But we sat. He sat down. He's a really nice guy. It was the first time I'd I'd met him in person, and. And yeah, we we just basically talked about some some anecdotes from his career, really, for uh, for a yeah. new players' lounge section. And uh, he was telling me about um, some of the pranks he used to get up to because I think he was known as a bit of a prankster during his during his career. And how um, at Leicester he'd um, he'd he'd always go into uh, the club legend there was Alan, Alan Birchnell when he was at Leicester. Yeah, and he'd have he'd have an office uh, where he'd always he'd, he'd get his food at lunchtime, put it in some sort of plate. And leave it in his office until he went home for the rest of the day. And, and Robbie would always nick the key for his office, uh, replace the food with a papier, uh, papier mache. And then he, it wasn't until Alan Birchnell would get home that he realised that his dinner wasn't there anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so apparently this went on a few times, and eventually Alan Alan snapped and <laughs> and got his own back when uh, when Robbie was having lunch one day when uh, he was having I think he said it was uh, jacket potato and beans. <laughs> And he just got Robbie's Robbie's uh, head pushed his pushed his nose into the this piping hot jacket potato and burnt his nose. So yeah, there's a few there's a few great stories like that from Robbie in this in this instance. Did he talk about Leicester? Yeah, so that was at Leicester. How does he rate yeah. them? Because I think with Brendan Rodgers mm. uh, and, and certainly retaining 
Vardy is, is mm. you know, the cutting edge. They've got a real chance again. Yeah, I think Daniel quite, Story yeah. is one of our uh, regular contributors. Mm. Did a, I thought a really interesting tweet this week that you know he thinks they'll they'll definitely make top six, possibly mm. even hit the top. Well, he thinks they're going to do a lot better. Mm. Well, I, mean, I think the question obviously is over still about Harry Maguire and what's going to happen with him yeah. because it sounds like obviously there's, there's significant interest and he could be could be tempted there. But once he gets to that stage, it sometimes becomes difficult to keep a player. They've you know they've they've, they've definitely you know, they've got a lot of promising players there and Brendan Rodgers. You know, pretty much every club he's been at has done a good job. So we'll be interested to see how much he can do with that team. But it's just whether that leap to the top six might be, you know, that, that gulf is just so huge. You don't think they'll hit six? I think that might be a big ask for them, but who knows? We'll see, I suppose. I, I think um, Iosi Perez is a really, really good signing for them when you yeah. look at the season they won the league and the job that Okazaki did yeah. just playing off of Bardi kind of being that that extra kind of goal support and that kind of hard work as well. I think he's perfect to fill that kind of role. I think he'll really fit into this Leicester team. And they like they really pushed most of the top four teams, didn't they, after he took over? Mm. Yeah. And they yeah. got you know, those they thrashed us. Yeah, you know, they were like they were instrumental in helping various people not get into the Champions League. <laughs> okay, now Kevin Phillips as well. You you yes. do the you ask the questions mm. feature every month, which is when we asked on social media for the, the readers uh, and those that follow us to give questions for key players. Uh, now, Kevin Phillips, uh, a man of many clubs and many goals. Yes. Oh, yeah. Many, many goals. I mean, obviously, he's hugely popular. Well, you know, every club he's been at, really, because he's, he's always been more or less top scorer in every single season that he's been involved. So, yeah, it, no, he, he was, uh, you know, he lives in a lovely place in, in Staffordshire. He's very impressive. And, um, and yeah, a, a top guy. He's really nice to meet. Was him. his house nice? Oh, he's fantastic. Yeah, he's a... Have you been to a lot of footballers' houses? Um, not not loads, but enough to, to think that was probably still, you know, to, to rate them, that was the best. So, did, yeah. What did he offer you when you came in? Because, I mean, by the way, if you listen to you can read the interview in the magazine. Yes, yeah, yeah. So let's get the stuff you didn't put in. Did he offer you a drink? Uh, yeah, I think he did, yeah. What, what did you have? Tea, orange uh, juice, water? Maybe, maybe a glass of water, I don't know. I, can't remember. I might not have had anything in there. I know sometimes, sometimes I'm fine. So. <laughs> but okay. he certainly offered me something. Any food? No, well, I'm sure I could have had something. I'm sure you would happily offer me something. I'd. Uh, and what was the best thing that caught your eye in the house? In the house, uh, well, I mean, he, there was all sorts of beautiful ornaments and but and a, a fancy pool table, these England caps, but obviously the, the European golden boot has to be the has to be the one that was excellent. Yeah. Okay, so obviously you record these interviews, so we're going to have a couple of clips. Uh, what, what have we gone with? Yeah. So, um, well, the the first one. Um, is uh, uh, he was talking about his time at Sunderland and uh, when Howard Wilkinson take um, came um, took over as manager and uh, appeared in the dressing room with some stinging nettles. And then one day we're, we're sitting in the changing room waiting for him to come in and do his team talk, and he walks in with a it might have been a Tesco's plastic carrier bag, and we think, what's he got in his hand? What, what's he doing now? Um, and he just started doing his team talk, and and, and it was like, it was a it was a speech in terms of trying to get the lads, you know, really up for the game. And, yeah. he, and he just come out with, you need to grasp the nettle. You know, someone out here in here has got to grasp the nettle. And he said, I don't, I can grasp. He said, oh, I'll grasp the nettle. So he puts his hand in his carrier bag, pulls out a great bunch of stinging nettles, and he's going, look, I grasp the nettle. I'll grasp it. Go on, grasp it. That's so hard. I'm not touching that. He puts them back in the bag, and, and I, I just. 
I can remember the lad saying after, did anyone have a look at his hands, you know, after when he and you could tell he was like shaking it a little bit because he'd obviously stung his hands and and, and also we've got uh, his thoughts on the infamous Pugate incident, which is when he was at Crystal Palace and they went to Brighton in the uh, playoff semi-finals. Yeah, this was like a big scandal at the time, weren't they? That yes, yeah. The Crystal Palace were appalled. Uh, Poye declined. The Brighton manager at the time, you know, just claimed he knew nothing about what it was. And this, what Kevin Phillips says is amazing. Yeah, well, when we arrived at the stadium... Um, of course, it's a big game again, another derby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, believe it or not, when they're thirty of mile apart, right. <laughs> we went into our change room and it stunk. Mm. And we was like, "What this?" We went, you know, you're going folly nose to the toilet as you do, and opened one of the cubicles and there was feces everywhere. And it, it was terrible, it made you gag. Um, so Ollie just went mad. He just thought it was a, a ploy from them to try and put us off our game. And, mm. It, in actual way, it, it defeated the object really because yeah, it inspired us. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you know he was going mad, blah blah blah, and he, he, he when when Ollie loses it, he loses Real. it. No one could calm him down, yeah, yeah. Um, and he demanded someone get in. And anyway, to be fair, Brighton they sent people yeah, and they cleaned yeah, it up, yeah. but the smell was still there. Mm. Um, and it did inspire us because we yeah. were able to win the game and get to the final. Yeah. But apparently, what I've been told, it's it wasn't nothing to do with their staff. It was our bus driver that when they dropped the kit off earlier in the day he had bad upset stomach and when he went to the toilet he couldn't it just went everywhere and he was, I think he was so like ashamed to say anything he just left it hoping that we'd blame it on <laughs> on the, uh, the staff at, at, at the Amex so uh, that, that's apparently what I was right, told okay. um, so we never 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 got the full truth yeah. but that's, that's another theory that we'd heard now you also Chris uh do our uh, our guest columnist every month, and you've last spent last two years having pillow talk with Lotus <laughs> Mateus, and uh, it's his it's Lotus last column this month. Yes, yeah, um, yeah. So we 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 basically spoke about what it's been like for him, you know, since he since he stopped playing, and uh, it, every every month I, I I always text him to find out when was best to kind of speak to him for his column, and he'd always be in some sort of random country where it's Mexico or or he'd be in Abu Dhabi or China so I thought well, we'll talk about about that and what that's been like and who he's met over the years and he's one of the few people in the world to have met both Donald Trump and Vladimir Putin so he talks a little bit about that um, and it was a lovely way to round off his column he said think, yeah do you think he's the missing link in the conspiracy <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't say that I would. <laughs> um, but yeah it's, it's been a, it's been a real pleasure to speak to him over the last that's time. obviously a joke load yeah <laughs> yeah because <laughs> um, yeah, I mean I, I, the first tournament I ever watched was, was 1990 mm-hmm. and obviously he was the star and the winning captain at that World Cup so to to meet him three years ago for the US the questions interview in Munich and then for yeah. the Columns come out of that and to speak to him every month for the last two years, and he's, he's he's a really nice guy as well. So he's, he's, he's on. He's got great anecdotes. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's no, the thing that yeah. struck me is because obviously as mm. as a player, he was like too good to be playing against. That's what it felt like. Mm. You just think, oh god, we got to go play against him. Yeah, and uh, but there's quite a lot of um, not warmth, but he's got personality. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. No, he's a he's a, he's a lovely guy. He's, he's been really interested to hear but you know we've basically pretty much in in, in 24 segments over 24 columns gone gone through segments of his career and it's been yeah. fascinating we, we did you 
Did you see 1990 or you? Uh, I did see 1990, but he played in World Cup 94. Yeah. And I, I definitely remember that. I think he was playing as a sweeper um, for Germany in that World Cup. And yeah, he, he seems to be like one of the last from that era where players just kind of moved back uh, or moved forward or just played in every position mm. as they got older. Yeah. Like start, he started as a striker. So. Yeah. 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 He's 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 going to be the back of Rose Z if he keeps going. <laughs> uh, just on that note, you would mention about 1990. There's a, the, as the editor of the magazine, I feel I can say this because all I'm doing is commissioning the stories or publishing the stories. If it was my own story, it would be big edit to say oh, I've written this brilliant piece. There's some fantastic pieces in the new issue of, of 442. We've got Perlow on the cover by James Horncastle. Uh, and we've got, on the back cover, we've got second cover, we've got Arsenal by Tim and by Boyd Hilton and various um, 442 staff writers. Um, but inside, we've uh, one of many features, we've got a brilliant piece, which we're going to talk about in a forthcoming podcast with Neil Hurd about the fantastic Holland and Germany chevron shirts from the late 80s and the 90s if, if you're interested in football shirts like i know a lot of you are neil who is one of the world's top experts on on, on football shirts and trainers describes this as the coolest shirt ever and uh so definitely check that out thanks very much for coming in tim and what does the rest of the weekend when, when's your next fix of arsenal pleasure um Probably the Emirates Cup. We've got the Women's World Cup final and the Copper America final. I write about South American football as well, yeah. so it's actually quite a busy weekend for me. Um, but yeah, Emirates Cup will be my next Arsenal fix, I believe. Okay. When's your next bit of football action, Chris? Uh, yeah, I'm not sure. See, maybe get a Bolton preseason game in or something like that if we've, if we've got 11 players to play a game. Can I just say, just very briefly, I wonder what else to begin in. Doncaster Bells, Arsenal ladies... Before the contemporary rise of women's football, they're the two names that I knew you would hear about. Did you ever see them? No, no, not really. To be honest. I think Mil Millwall Lionesses seem to be one as well. Oh, yeah. I think that if they, there's been some problems with them, I think, recently. Yeah, as well. see, they were, yeah. we can go old school ladies yeah. now yeah. to be hip. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, they, were, they were always used to be the ones that in the FA Cup final and stuff, I think. Yeah, yeah in, the, in the 90s, that was the kind of. Wenger, Ferguson, Arsenal, Manchester United mm. type rivalry. But yeah, Millwall Lionesses have now become London Lionesses. Right, yeah. So they've kind of dissociated from Millwall a little bit. wonder why. <laughs> right, <laughs> listen. Uh, but, well, on that point, there is also a piece in the latest issue about the famous, the infamous uh, Panorama documentary from the mid-70s about Millwall's various football hooligan firms, which basically bought football hooliganism into the mainstream media. So look, there's loads in the latest issue. Thanks guys for coming in. Where can people follow you if they if you're if you're new to them? I'm sure all Arsenal fans know about you. Yeah, sure. So I'm on Twitter at Stilberto. Um that's two L's in Stilberto. Um and you can follow me there and I have a weekly column on arsblog.com about Arsenal and I cover the Arsenal women for the site as well. Right. And hopefully you'll be doing more for, for us and for what about Arsenal in the future. Chris Flanagan is at Chris Flanagan. What? At C Flanagan FFT. Yeah. Okay. And I'm James James Brown. Thanks for listening. The latest issue of 442 is out now. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast via Spotify and iTunes. And you can follow us on Twitter at 442. Till next week. Goodbye. <laughs>